Yes, the Chief Zone Podcast is back. Thank you for downloading and listening to the Chief Zone Podcast through iTunes. I'm your host, Farzine Vasugin. As always, be sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also interact with me on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and give my Facebook page a like, facebook.com slash Farzine Vasugian. Interaction always encouraged, especially this week with a busy week with the NFL Draft taking place on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So a very busy week in the NFL with the draft coming up. Big thanks to all of you guys who have been interacting. I know we haven't done a podcast in a while. A lot's been going on. Uh, some of you guys I have seen on social media, yeah, I, I did mention uh, my dad was having surgery at one point, so I had to step away from a couple of things. Uh, but a lot of you guys gave some uh, really positive tweets about that, so I definitely appreciate all of you guys who had reached out on social media during that time. But things are all right now, so uh, back at it, doing another podcast, uh, and at the right time, too. I know we've missed uh, some key events, uh, but back at it now with the NFL Draft coming up. And I'll go over the offseason a little bit. In fact, uh, let's not waste any time. I'll just give my take right now on the offseason. Through about one and a half months, nearly two months, from what we've seen this offseason from the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't know if, if I could say it's a good or a bad offseason. I think it's really just right down in the middle. Uh, one of the big positives is that the Chiefs re-signed a majority of their defense, bringing back Tamba Hali, Derek Johnson, Jay Howard, Jamal Fleming, and using the franchise tag on Eric Berry. Now listen, I know the franchise tag that comes with a very negative connotation, uh, especially with Eric Berry, who's been through so much. And by the way, had a great appearance on Ellen, who had uh, surprise visited a, a college football player who's going through exactly what Eric Berry went through, uh, diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma and had plans to enter the NFL. Uh, but uh, Eric Berry went out there and uh, g- g- gave his... Kind words on that segment. Definitely look it up. It's on YouTube. It's on the Chiefs website. Worth checking out if you get a chance. But with everything Eric Berry's been through, and listen, of course in 2014 he had to leave the season early to deal with his health, and then the 2015 offseason he didn't really have an offseason. Of course he's going through chemo, and you know I think physically and emotionally, mentally too. Uh, that's that's taxing. It really is. And of, of course, Eric is a strong guy, as we've seen, be, even before uh, being diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma. And coming back from this, right away, getting ready for the 2015 season, and not just playing through the whole season, had a fantastic season earning the Comeback Player of the Year award. And I think it goes without saying that this is a guy who you got to keep on your football team. Eric Berry's had only two bad seasons. One was in 2011 when he got injured in the first quarter of the first game of the season. Tore his ACL. And listen, it's not his fault. You can't necessarily say he had a horrible season. Just got just had bad luck there. And then in 2014, missed a couple of games due to injury. Seemed to slow him down. And then, of course, we learned... Uh, right after the uh, loss on Thursday Night Football in Oakland, that he would have to step away to deal with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he he didn't really seem like himself. A lot of people are wondering if it's the injuries he had been dealing with and had to miss a couple of games from before having to fully be placed on IR or if maybe uh, 
the uh, mass in his chest that he later uh, found out about, if maybe that played some sort of role in him struggling in 2014. Other than that, the rest of the years that Eric Berry has been in the league, 2010, 2012, 2013, and 2015, Eric Berry's been a top-notch safety for you, and obviously you cannot afford to lose a guy like him, especially when you have Marcus Peters at cornerback, and you arguably have a very strong and young cornerback safety duo. And I think Kansas City's defensive backs definitely benefit from the pass rushers. When you've got two elite pass rushers in Eric Berry, or pardon me, uh, Tom Bahali and Justin Houston. I'll get to Justin Houston in a moment. But when you have those two guys on your football team, and we saw what D Ford did, uh, showed a few flashes while filling in for those guys at times, mostly for Justin Houston, defensive backs just strive. I mean, that is the best gift a defensive back can ask for, to play on a defense where you have a superior front seven, two outstanding Pro Bowl pass rushers. Next thing you know, those quarterbacks are throwing ill-advised passes. I've been saying this for a while, and Kansas City's been very fortunate to have some great pass rushers in the past 10 years. Of course, you had Jared Allen, who at one point did lead the NFL in sacks as a Kansas City Chief, also had 22 sacks with the Vikings, and almost broke Michael Strahan's record for most sacks in a single season. You have Tom Bahali, who's been, if I'm not mistaken, twice uh, as a chief, led the AFC in sacks, and has always been one of the league leaders in quarterback pressures. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, according to Pro Football Focus, he led the NFL in quarterback pressures, despite missing some games and being limited late in the season. And even going through the the sore knees that he's dealt with, but... He's been operated on this season, so he's coming back strong and hopefully getting ready. And, of course, that three-year deal, uh, I thought he was going to split time with D4, but when I saw the the money right there, $21 million, uh, I don't think he's going to be – you don't pay someone on average $7 million a year. And, of course, NFL contracts, they're not evenly averaged out. But, you know, on average, he's going to make $7 million a year. Eventually, it'll turn to $21 million. And this is, of course, before bonuses and such. But either way, you're paying the guy a lot of money. He's not going to be splitting time with D. Ford. So that's one of the things that kind of confuses me about this defense uh, with what they're going to do with D. Ford. I'll get to Justin Houston in a moment, but to to go back to Eric Berry, they're going to get a deal done. I remember a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this as well, were concerned about what was going on with Justin Houston and the Kansas City Chiefs and why it took such a long time and all the negative reports of how the two sides aren't even close to a deal. And look what happened. Right before the deadline, uh, not only Justin Houston, but uh, Demarius Thomas, uh, Des Bryant, those guys also got their contracts right before the deadline. So things are going to play out. Things are going to be fine. And Eric Berry, will, I, I believe, will sign a long-term deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I did mention a couple times Justin Houston. I'll get to it right now. A lot of, we've heard a lot of things this offseason about Justin Houston and what's going to happen to him. Uh, he was at one point expected to miss 6 to 12 months uh, when he had surgery on his, not a torn ACL, but an ACL that was just not intact and not functioning properly, uh, which is very rare. You don't ever hear that when 
someone's being operated on uh, over an ACL surgery. Usually it's always torn, uh, but in this case it was not. It was just not intact. And it happened, the surgery happened in February, and at that point it was reported that he would miss 6 to 12 months from the date of the surgery, and the six-month mark would have been in August, and not many people were sure if he would be ready by then, because that is training camp time. Preseason games also take place then, so you would have a good understanding of where he would be at the six-month mark. Now, recently, John Dorsey, general manager of the Chiefs, has said that he does expect Justin Houston to be fully ready for the 2016 season. So, I don't know what to think at this point, and I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on, because I'm not a doctor. Yes, I've, I've had a torn ACL before. In fact, I, I tore my knee in two places. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's still, you, you, you never know exactly what's going on unless... You're a doctor, you're in the field, and more specifically, if you're actually dealing with Justin Houston. Now, I know Jamal Charles and Justin Houston both uh, put videos on their Instagram, on social media. Uh, Jamal was doing jump ropes, and Justin Houston, I think, was doing some high knees, uh, going, going through rehab and all, but... To me, that doesn't mean much. I think it's great they're able to do that. It shows that they're mobile and they're on track. And listen, professional athletes tend to recover more than what you and I would, or how how long it would take, I should say, because really just of of, the, of their physique, and they'll come back sooner than uh, most people would from uh, an injury like that, or after having surgery, I should say. So Justin Houston, I don't know exactly what's going on, but if. The general manager of an NFL team says so. If he says he expects him to be ready, I think that's fair to expect then. Uh, Justin Houston hopefully will be 100%. Dontari Poe, of course, had back surgery before training camp, and he wasn't the Pro Bowl nose tackle that we had known to love the past couple of years in Kansas City. So I'm not exactly sure what to expect from Justin Houston, even if he is ready in August, I think uh, the preseason, people are going to be keeping a very close eye on him. Yes, preseason games, they don't matter. Exhibition games, the stats, it's really nothing to be concerned about. But when a guy is coming back from injury, that is one of the things you want to keep an eye on. See how they're doing. How mobile are they? Some free agents the Chiefs picked up this offseason. The biggest one, of course, Mitchell Schwartz, the brother of Jeff Schwartz, who played here in Kansas City. Uh, which, by the way, Jeff Schwartz went on to sign with the Detroit Lions. Uh, one of the top-rated right tackles uh, by Pro Football Focus. The number two-rated right tackle, in fact. And coming to Kansas City, not, not really working with a lot of good quarterbacks uh, with Cleveland, but... Uh, his blocking is very well respected, and I think it's definitely going to bode well with Alex Smith, and especially that Chiefs backfield, with the way they've got things going with Jamal Charles and coming back from injury, and also re-signing Shark Hendrick West and Spencer Ware, and I think that's going to be a tough three-headed monster to stop. I, I still think the Chiefs are going to use Jamal Charles as their primary back, but I think they're going to make... West and Ware, very active. I, I've said this on RantSports.com, but I'll say it here on the podcast. I still think that those two backups are going to get a lot of playing time because Jamal Charles, where he is at this point in his career, getting a little bit older, coming coming back from not one but two ACL tears uh, on different knees, of course, uh, n- 
hasn't necessarily had a, a torn ACL on the same knee, but still, uh, when it's on your body, uh, not once but twice, I think that's still going to take into effect a little bit. But I still think a guy like Jamal Charles, what he showed in 2012 coming back beyond expectations from a torn ACL, and of course he had plenty of time to recover because it happened in week two, uh, I, I still think we'll see the same Jamal Charles, but uh, probably a little less active. Maybe have those guys Warren West more active in rotation and keep Jamal Charles fresh for bigger games down the stretch late in the season and the postseason. Listen, I'll bring this up again later, but that three-game home stand that the Chiefs have in the month of December, that is huge. Two of them being primetime games, by the way. One against the Oakland Raiders on a Thursday night, and then you've got the Broncos on Christmas night. And by the way, having that Thursday night game, I know Thursday night games frowned upon by a lot of players and fans too, but having that Thursday night game to start off the three-game homestand and then staying in Kansas City for the next home game against the Titans on a Sunday, 10 days rest, that's what the Chiefs are going to be getting. Don't got to go anywhere. Back-to-back home games. Oh, by the way, you have another home game after that. When you face the Broncos on Sunday Night Football. So the Chiefs definitely got uh, uh, some uh, generous scheduling there. And I think part of it has to do with October. If you had noticed, the Chiefs have only one home game in October. Probably because the NFL schedule makers were expecting the Kansas City Royals to be playing games in October. So uh, they definitely didn't want to interfere with that. I, I know it's so hard to predict. Maybe the Royals don't make the play. God forbid they don't make the playoffs, then it all ends up being for nothing. But either way, I like the way the schedule turned out because the Chiefs get those three games consecutively at home in December. And I think that's going to be huge because, of course, that's the month where the intensity picks up. Everything's uh, basically everyone's fired up because they've got to make that strong playoff push at the end of the season, and the Chiefs have three games at home, and if if they're doing well by that point in the season, I think they're going to have a raucous Arrowhead crowd behind them. I think a lot of people are going to come out for that Christmas game. It, it's very rare to say that you uh, attended a Chiefs game at Arrowhead on Christmas. This this did happen, I believe, in 04 or 05 against the Raiders, and it was Lawrence Tynes who had the game-winning field goal in the end, so... Uh, hopefully the Chiefs can have a, uh, a victorious Christmas night. Uh, listen, of, of course you want to beat the heck out of the Broncos, but listen, man, I, I'd be all for a very close game coming down to the wire, maybe even an overtime. I, it just makes that Christmas night more memorable. Because you'll look back 10, 20 years from now, and you'll say, yeah, that was one of the best Christmases I ever had, watching the Chiefs Sunday night. Close game over Denver. So I hope it's a more entertaining Christmas night game rather than a one-sided game. If it is one-sided, of course, you'll take the win. Don't get me wrong, but uh, those uh, close games are always more memorable. Think of the Monday Night Football game that the Chiefs and Broncos had when Montana and Elway were going at it. I believe in 93 or 95. I think it was 93 when that game was. I could be wrong on that. Of course of course, you guys will let me know on social media if I'm wrong. But either way, uh, I, I like the way the schedule turned out. And I think the Chiefs are going to use that running game in the month of December a lot more. And uh, Mitchell Schwartz will have a big hand in that. Uh, other offensive signings, two wide receivers. Rod Streeter, been with the Oakland Raiders, has been very quiet uh, lately in his career. Not the most 
exciting addition on the Chiefs roster, but a veteran leader, uh, I think, is something that the Chiefs uh, could use on this roster. Uh, just recently, on Monday afternoon, the Chiefs uh, had signed Mike Williams. That There are two Mike Williams in the NFL. Uh, there's one from USC who's not in the NFL anymore. He went to the Canadian Football League. Uh, didn't do very well there, but the Mike Williams who the Chiefs picked up, and I'm glad it's this Mike Williams because... Williams has shown a, 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 he's he's had a good career in the NFL. Not necessarily great, but not horrible either. He's shown some flashes, and I think he's just got to be under the right system in the NFL. Most recently played for the Buffalo Bills in 2014. Didn't play in 2015, uh, but in 2014 didn't start a game. Just had eight catches for 142 yards and a touchdown, but... During his time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, did very well. In fact, his rookie season started all 16 games, caught 65 passes for 964 yards, caught 11 touchdowns, the most he's had in his career. That tied for fourth in the NFL. The following season, same exact amount of catches, fewer yards though, 771 and just three touchdowns that year for Williams. But then bounced back in 2012, Nearly the same amount of catches, 63 yards, 996 yards, the most of, uh, amount of receiving yards he's had in a single season. Finished with nine touchdowns. That tied for 11th in the NFL that season in 2012. But then in 2013, just took a step back once again. 22 catches, a, a huge step back, by the way. 22 catches, 216 yards, just a pair of touchdowns. And then, uh, of course, I read you his uh, stat line in 2014 with the Buffalo Bills. So he's had a very up and down career. If you get the 2010 and 2012 Mike Williams playing opposite of Jeremy Macklin along with Albert Wilson and Chris Conley, part of this receiving corp, you've got a damn good offense for Alex Smith. This could be a make or break for Kansas City's offense here. Like I said, if Mike Williams is in his 2012-2010 form, Alex Smith is going to have a field day. Oh, by the way, they have Travis Kelsey as their tight end. I think he's got to be a little bit more consistent, but he's still one of the well uh, better tight ends in the NFL today. And you know the Chiefs are going to use Jamal Charles, Shark Hendrick West, and Spencer Ware coming out of the backfield in the passing game. That's just the way Andy Reid's offense operates. And, of course, Brad Childress and Matt Nagy. And Brad Childress has had some success with offensive players, especially in Minnesota. And they're definitely going to get to work with these players uh, trying to build a better offense. So this is definitely an offense that I think you can have high expectations. It just depends which Mike Williams you think is going to show up. The same thing could be said about Dwayne Bowe, who had been with the Chiefs for a, a while. But you never knew which Dwayne Bow was going to show up on, on game day. In, in 2013, Dwayne Bow had one of the most quiet seasons during Kansas City's 11-win season. Of course, started off by a 9-0 start. But then in the playoff game, got 150 yards, 10 catches, got a touchdown, almost had two touchdowns. If Junior Hemingway just blocked in the end there. So... I think that I, I think the Dwayne Bow comparison is perfect. There are some games where Mike Williams really showed up for the Bucks. Then there were just some games where he was just a receiver that was simply just there. 
So I think there's a lot to, to kind of be excited about, but also concerned about when you look at a guy like Mike Williams, uh, again, five years in the in five seasons, he's played in the NFL, of course, took a break in 2015, uh, coming out of Syracuse, who also born in Buffalo, New York. So he got to play for his hometown, uh, for one season, but just didn't pan out well for him. So hopefully he has better success. And I, and, and I like the fact that he's coming to Kansas city for his sake. And I think it, it bodes well for him because Andy Reid's done such a great job of having players turn around. And of course, He's known for that mostly with troubled players, guys like Mike Vick, and of course here in Kansas City with Marcus Peters. But Andy Reid's been in the league for a very long time, and uh, one of the top coaches in the NFL right now, with all he's accomplished with Philadelphia and starting to do more here in Kansas City, trying to carry that over. Uh, building a very impressive NFL resume for himself to possibly be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I still think he needs a championship to really make that big of a case one day. Uh, but for now, this is a guy who's done a great job of helping players bounce back and uh, stay stay focused, stay on track. And I think this is the best situation for Mike Williams to be in because he's going to have a head coach like Andy Reid that can help him uh, step up and probably be consistent and this is going to be essentially his contract here if he doesn't do well this season if we see the 2014 and 2013 Mike Williams this might be the last time Mike Williams plays in the NFL so he knows that this is his do or die season for his NFL career it's a very exciting signing if this was right after the 2012 season or the 2010 season but it's not so this is uh, this is one of those things where you kind of go back and forth, and you just wonder, like, like the Dwayne Bow comparison, which Mike Williams will we see? And I think under Andy Reid, we will see the more better, more dominant Mike Williams for the Kansas City Chiefs. Before we talk about the draft, I want to go over uh, the AFC West and just talk about what's been going on and how things are going to shape out in the AFC West because the Oakland Raiders have had a very impressive off season, uh, unlike the Denver Broncos, but let's start with the Raiders first. They signed Osemele, the offensive lineman from Baltimore also added Bruce Irvin from Seattle to join the linebacking corp with Ben Heaney, former Kansas Jayhawk and Malcolm Smith. I think this is going to be one of the better group of linebackers in the NFL. Ben Heaney, I was very shocked he fell uh, as far as he did in the draft last year. I think he showed a lot of flashes in 2015. I think he's going to be one of the better inside linebackers in 2016. And Bruce Irving coming from Seattle, a a very prominent defense, that's going to bode well for the Oakland Raiders. Also, the Raiders unfortunately took Sean Smith from us, and I, that's that's going to sting a little bit because Sean. And listen, I, I was shocked at how social media responded to this. The Chiefs fans, of course, who I'm referring to, a lot of Chiefs fans said, "Oh, no worries, he wasn't worth it. He he got burned by Sammy Watkins against Buffalo. So one bad game, one bad game for Sean Smith." And Chiefs fans think that the Raiders just picked up the worst cornerback in the world. Sean Smith is a very, very underrated cornerback. The fact that he has not made the Pro Bowl or made the All-Pro team uh, is beyond me. I I can't comprehend that. Uh, But Sean Smith, again, he's not the guy who gets a lot of interceptions, but very good in coverage. Uh, He doesn't get burned a whole lot. Yes, Sammy Watkins got the best of him for just one half of football. Next thing you know, Sean Smith... 
shut him out in the second half. Of course, had a little bit of safety help with Eric Berry that time, but uh, Sean Smith, one of the tallest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, up there with Richard Sherman from Seattle, and I think this is going to be where a lot of opposing teams are going to struggle when they face the Raiders because Oakland's got Khalil Mack, a scary pass rusher who you do not want to go up against. And then, kind of like Kansas City, you've got those good defensive backs. And with Sean Smith's height advantage against a lot of these wide receivers, he's going to be coming away with uh, with some more picks than he did uh, during his time in Kansas City. So that's going to be huge for the Raiders. Oh, by the way, also brought back offensive tackle Donald Penn to try and keep a strong uh, offensive line for Derek Carr and that offense, which is filled with a lot of great stars. Michael Crabtree bounced back and really got his career going. Uh, of course, you've got Amari Toomer, who had a sensational rookie season as a wideout. Now, did I say Amari Toomer? I meant to say Amari Cooper, so pardon me on that right there. Uh, Cooper, that is. Uh, who had the uh, rookie year for the Oakland Raiders. And then, of course, you've got Latavius Murray, uh, who kind of kick-started his career with that Thursday night uh, upset over the Chiefs. And since then, he's been very good for the Raiders, and uh, they're going to have a very talented offense and a much better defense this year. And that's what's going to help Oakland compete in the AFC West in 2016 the the Broncos on the other hand the reigning Super Bowl champions not only did Peyton Manning retire but Brock Osweiler took a four-year 72 million dollar deal with Houston he played just seven games and he just earned himself 72 millions in four years I'm kind of wondering if it's too late to be a uh to be a quarterback in the NFL these days with how much money they make for just half a season of success. I wouldn't even say success. It's not like he was great. We all know the defense carried this team. But anyway, Danny Trevathan, inside linebacker, goes to Chicago. Defensive tackle Malik Johnson goes on to Jacksonville. They lost Evan Mathis to Arizona. Even though he's 34, still a really darn good blocker. Uh, one of the better guards in the NFL today, even at that age. Uh, they signed Russell Okung to uh, kind of a weird contract. Um, I, I, to, to my knowledge, the way this works is if he does well his, his first year with the Broncos, then he will be picked up for the next three years or four years, uh, I, I believe, and will make more money from that. And Russell Okung, a very talented offensive tackle with the Seattle Seahawks, but Injuries have really took a toll on his career from reaching his potential. Another offensive tackle, a more familiar face, Donald Stevenson, of course, uh, drafted from Oklahoma and uh, playing for another team for the first time in his career, leaving Kansas City. The Broncos did trade for Mark Sanchez, which uh, shocked a lot of people. They have Trevor Simeon, uh, who was drafted in the seventh round last year. So Mark Sanchez and Trevor Simeon, are the two quarterbacks. They did reach out to Sam Bradford, which I want to talk about later, but that's Denver's QB situation right now. There's no doubt that they're going to try to draft for a quarterback, maybe even trade up this weekend. Because even though that defense did well, you lost Malik Johnson and Danny Trevathan. Now listen, I know they're going to pay Von Miller the world. And I give props to... The Carolina Panthers for not giving in to Josh Norman, who did end up going to 
an NFC East team, of course. Of course, uh, just to face Odell Beckham Jr. Not once, but twice. We all know how that's going to go. But either way, uh, you rarely see teams just say, Hey, look, we're going to take a stand and not give you the money. If you don't want to be here, fine. We'll, we'll just let you go. But of course, with a guy like Von Miller who won the Super Bowl MVP award... Uh, this is a guy who y- you want to keep on your football team. Without Von Miller, in addition to losing Trevathan and Jackson, this Broncos team could go from winning the Super Bowl to probably competing against the San Diego Chargers for the worst record in the AFC West. So I'm not exactly sure w- w- what the Broncos have in mind through this draft. They definitely want to try to find a couple of key starters because... This is a team that just won the Super Bowl, and you want to get back in the post in the, into the postseason again and win another Super Bowl. That's always the goal. Sure, you did win it one year, but once the offseason gets underway, the celebration's over. You've got to move on. Yeah, you'll have the banner raising uh, when you open the season against a team that you beat in the Super Bowl. you got to do whatever it takes to repeat. And right now, it's not looking too good for the Denver Broncos. That defense is not going to carry you twice. And listen, Mark Sanchez is not going to make up for the losses of Malik Jackson and Danny Trevathan. Let's not kid ourselves here. The way the AFC West is shaping out right now, the Raiders and the Chiefs are going to be competing for the AFC West. And I said last year, right after the draft, I said watch out for the Raiders in 2016 because they are going to be really, really good. 2015 will be the last year that the Raiders have uh, a season where they don't finish above 500 uh, since the Super Bowl loss to Tampa Bay. And a lot of people laughed at that. And now I'm looking back and I think people are starting to see why I said that. Because this Raiders team, uh, they found the pieces this offseason to nearly complete the puzzle. Of course, they've got the draft to go through. But once that's complete, I think this Oakland Raiders team is going to be in very good hands and very competitive in 2016. And I think the Chiefs and Raiders rivalry will finally have some significance and some big meaning to it. Because quite honestly, even though we hate the Raiders and we want to see them suck every time, you want to see a good rivalry. Look at KU and K-State. Surely I'm talking to a lot of KU and K-State fans right now. Of course, MU is no longer in the Big 12, so who's KU's biggest rival? The in-state rival, K-State. How's that rivalry going? How boring are the football games? How boring are the basketball games? Sure, K-State wins one every now and then. A blind squirrel finds a nut every, every now and then. It's one of the most boring rivalries in sports today. And I'm referring to KUK State. No one cares about the football. Not even K-State fans care about the football matchup. KU fans, they don't even care so much for the basketball matchup. They're, they're more excited for Texas and Oklahoma State. Those top-notch teams. Baylor. OU. Not Kansas State. The only time that this KUK State rivalry was relevant in the past 300 and... 90 days. One, the court storming. Two, the uh, the interesting band formation to start off college football weekend. 
What else? Oh, yeah, Brennan Green dunking uh, at the end of a game. So that's the only reason that KU and K-State had some sort of a rivalry, just stuff that happened outside of the actual game. Okay, Brandon Green's dunk, yeah, that was part of the game, but I digress. You get the idea. That's what the Chiefs and Raiders rivalry was for the past eight or nine years. Even longer than that, actually, because the Raiders have been bad. Yeah, sure, the Raiders did snap that long losing streak against division opponents until 2007 against the Chiefs. And, of course, the Raiders did win six in a row at Arrowhead, finally snapped when the Chiefs did it in 2013, part of their 9-0 start. Now this division in the AFC West will have a lot of meaning to it, and Chiefs fans should enjoy that. They really should. I don't like to say what fans should and shouldn't enjoy, but listen, if you are a sports fan, you should like a good rivalry. Why do you think SEC fans are so excited for a lot of their opponents in the football? Because they know a lot of those games are going to come down to the wire and it'd be very exciting. Even those close losses that you go through, those are still some memorable ones that you remember down the road later. That Thursday night loss to the Raiders in 2014, of course you don't want to remember it, but as part of the Chiefs and Raiders history, that's going to stick out as one of the worst moments. That's what a rivalry is. A rivalry is really not that fun if all you're doing is sweeping opponents. Yeah, sure, I, I guess as a as a supporter, as a, as a rooter, a fan, yeah, sure, why not? You're winning, that's the point. But a rivalry has to have some back and forth punches. And I think that's what this rivalry will finally become. Sure, they've, they've, they've beaten each other the same amount of times, I guess, the past eight or nine years, but they've both been mostly bad. The Chiefs, yeah, have had a couple of good seasons, but the Raiders haven't. Now they're both going to be above 500 for the first time in God knows however long, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch for Chiefs and Raiders fans. I want to go over the roster real quickly before we sign off here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Let's go over the offense. We've got Alex Smith at quarterback, under center, obviously your starter. Aaron Murray and Tyler Bray will compete for the backup spot, and very likely the loser will get the third quarterback spot on the team. In the backfield, I mentioned the running backs. Uh, you've had Jamal Charles, Sharkhandrick West, and Spencer Ware. Niall Davis, uh, there were reports that the Chiefs have wanted to trade him, but he's still on the roster right now. He's got some potential if he takes care of that football. He really does. He can be just as good as Ware and West. And I remember people were asking, where's Niall Davis? Why are we seeing Weston Ware instead of him? Well, now we know why. We saw what happened in that postseason game when he committed that fumble to the Patriots. At wideout, you've got Jeremy Macklin, of course, your number one wideout. You just got Mike Williams. You want to know how he's going to do, if he can bounce back. Albert Wilson has a lot of speed and was able to showcase that even more in 2015. 2014, late in the season, he got going, but that was just a bad year for wide receivers in Kansas City. So forget about that. Frankie Hammond, he's been on on the team since 2013 as a as an unsigned free agent, but or undrafted free agent, I should say. He's got some speed. He he's been on the punt return team uh, for a while, especially filling in for DeAnthony Thomas. But we don't know a lot about him, and I think this is the year where he could be on the chopping block. DeAnthony Thomas is coming back. I just mentioned him, but is he going to live up to his potential? I, I I think Chiefs fans are still waiting on that. Chris Conley. We saw a lot of flashes from him in his rookie season. Of course, was a combine warrior uh, at last year's 
combine, and the Chiefs took notice of that and drafted him. And of course, he's mostly remembered for filling in for Jeremy Macklin in the Houston playoff victory when uh, he, he filled in and caught a touchdown pass on that same exact drive when Macklin had to leave. You've got Jer- uh, uh, Travis Kelsey, your top tight end on the team, one of the better tight ends in the NFL. James O'Shaughnessy uh, showed some flashes uh, as a rookie. Demetrius Harris has also been very active for the Chiefs, has been involved uh, in the passing game with Alex Smith. And I think those are going to end up being your three tight ends. As far as the offensive line goes, Eric Fisher, this is the guy who's been up and down since 2013, being drafted number one overall. He got off to a great start in 2014 when he went up against some of the best pass rushers in the game that year. Uh, Olivier Vernon, I remember, he he kept very quiet against Miami. Same with Von Miller in week two that season. Uh, This has been a guy who's been up and down in his career and in the postseason victory over the Texans. He just completely owned J.J. Watt, who, in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinion, might be the best pass rusher in the NFL right now. And to keep him quiet, Chiefs fans had to really enjoy that. But what are we going to see from Eric Fisher in 2016? You want to see that early 2014 and that Houston playoff performance carry over. Because then you'll finally consider him a legitimate number one overall tackle. Mitch Morris, of course, at center. Very good rookie season. Hopefully can uh, find a little bit more ways to improve to be a more complete center. And at that point, he will play like a Pro Bowl center if he can work on just a couple of his weaknesses. Just improve on his technique. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, I think definitely impressed a lot of people. Uh, Not really well known. As a good blocker, and I think last year he improved during the season. Uh, yes, it was an easy schedule as the season went on, but uh, you can only play who uh, who's on your schedule. Paul Fanica still on the team, didn't play last year. Ben Grubbs was let go by the Chiefs, so that experiment didn't last long. It cost him only a fifth-round pick. Uh, maybe Paul Fanica uh, will switch to left guard, or the Chiefs might draft someone to play that wide-open left guard spot. Uh, and a right tackle, of course, that's going to be claimed by Mitchell Schwartz. You signed him in the offseason, and he's going to be there. Maybe Ja Reed can provide some depth, or maybe he fills in uh, on occasion. It, maybe he does get converted to guard. Not exactly sure. You never know what head coaches have planned for linemen and how they want to shake things up on that offensive line. But for now, you've got from left to right, you've got Fisher wide open at left guard. Morse. Duvernay, Tardif, and Schwartz. And I think that's a very good offensive line. But probably the best offensive line you've had, and that's considering a wide-open spot at left guard since Andy Reid's been here. And this is Alex, Smith, Alex Smith's time to shine, really. If the Chiefs do draft a wideout, who is it going to be? Well, I've really been high on Josh Doxson, the, T, the uh, wideout from TCU. But with the addition of Mike Williams, I'm not exactly sure. And you drafted Chris Conley, who I, I, I'm sure the Chiefs are high on. Uh, Josh Doxson, by the way, 14 touchdown grabs last year. And there were, let's see what it was, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 consecutive games where he had multiple touchdown grabs. In the second of those 6 games, he had 3 touchdown receptions. Also had 18 
catches for 267 yards. That was the best game he had against Texas Tech in a 55-52 victory on the road for TCU. Another good wideout to consider, Will Fuller from Notre Dame, also had 14 touchdowns last year for the Fighting Irish. Caught six passes for 113 yards and a touchdown in the loss to against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Had a three-touchdown game against Pittsburgh. That helped Notre Dame pick up a 42-30 victory. Has had three games during his final year, which was his junior year. Three different games where he had multiple touchdown grabs. One of them being against the Texas Longhorns, a Big 12 team, of course, that we're all familiar with uh, in a 38-3 victory. So, I don't think you could go wrong. Josh Doxson, he's projected to go anywhere from mid-first to early second. So, there's a chance he could be available by the time the Chiefs draft at 28. Will Fuller, uh, he's been projected on some mock drafts to come to Kansas City. Again, I think uh, similar to Doxson stat-wise, but uh, Doxson has the the speed. And that would really go well with Kansas City's offense. Now defensively, with the loss of Sean Smith, what do the Chiefs have? Of course you have Marcus Peters, but behind him you have Philip Gaines, who's coming from a torn ACL, uh, trying to come back from a torn ACL. Uh, Marcus Cooper also on the team. Uh, looked really good in 2013 as a rookie uh, after being let go by San Francisco, but since then uh, we just haven't seen anything from Marcus Cooper that that we should be excited about. Steven Nelson uh, was drafted last year. The Chiefs did draft a quarterback in the third round in each of the last two drafts, uh, Philip Gaines in 2014 and Steven Nelson in 2015. So obviously you want to, you want to find some value in those guys right there. Those are second day draft picks and they're going to be part of your defense for 2016. Eric Berry, of course, is going to come back uh, as one of your safeties. Ron Parker uh, really uh, had a, a better season in 2015 as a safety. He did play cornerback for the Chiefs in 2014 and in the 20, or pardon me, in 2013 and in the 2014 preseason. But when he converted to safety, he just had much better success at that position. So when you have Eric Berry and Ron Parker, Jamal Fleming behind those guys, guys right there, you're going to have a good group of safeties, and uh, I think a good quarterback rotation now, people are expecting the Chiefs to go for a quarterback in this draft for the second year in a row in the first round, and if that's the case, uh, a lot of people are talking about a guy like William Jackson III to come out of Houston, and he had a pretty good season, a senior season, I should say, with the Cougars had three interceptions in the regular season, had two in the Chick-fil-A Bowl against Florida State. He scored defensive touchdowns in two different games, took an interception back 35 yards against Texas State, and then uh, against Vanderbilt, 55 yards, uh, and a route there, a 34 to nothing win over Vanderbilt. So this is a guy who I think could come in here and even get a, a, more interceptions uh, when he has that, that front seven 
with or without Justin Houston, it's still going to be a strong front seven with Jay Howard part of the part of the defensive line right there. Dontari Poe, Alan Bailey, don't forget about that. That defensive line is is no joke right there. That's something that opposing offenses have to really take account for and and, and really just prepare for going into that game. Speaking of that defensive line, let's go into it right now. You have Jay Howard and Dontari Poe uh, in, in the middle of that defensive line. Alan Bailey is your right defensive end. But who is going to be the left defensive end? I, I think that's going to be something the Chiefs explore this weekend in the draft. Maybe a guy like Shaq Lawson uh, could come in here and uh, fill that void. Had 12 and a half sacks during his junior season with Clemson and decided to forego his senior year. Had two sacks in the national championship loss to Alabama, 45-40. to 40. So uh, this is a guy who I think would be a great fit for Kansas City's 3-4 defense. Uh, filling in that left defensive end spot, and I'd be in favor of that somewhat because if you have that defense right there, Kansas City has Kansas City's defense hasn't had many bad games in the past three years, and they could carry that over again and really just show why they're one of the better defenses behind Denver in the NFL. Of course, your linebackers Derek Johnson, who had a spectacular bounce back season, could have won the Comeback Player of the Year award. Uh, right next to Eric Berry, of course, competing with Adrian Peterson and Carson Palmer, but still one of the better players who bounced back this year. A lot of great players came back from injury in 2015, and Derek Johnson was one of them. You've got your outside linebackers, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, Pro Bowlers, we know it all. Josh Manga, though, I think this is a guy who's really been impressive. I think in 2014, I really liked his closing speed against ball carriers, but in 2015, he just looked like a more complete Inside linebacker, but I really learned a lot from Derek Johnson, clearly. And the Chiefs have four great linebackers on this defense. If Justin Houston's there, great. If not, it's D Ford's time to shine, and he'll be able to show himself. He'll be able to prove why he belongs in the NFL and why he was drafted in the first round in 2014. So who did the Chiefs end up drafting? Listen, I could go all over here. I mentioned the four players that I I would like to see the most. William Jackson, the third, the cornerback from Houston. Wide receivers Josh Doxson and Will Fuller. Fuller from Notre Dame and Doxson from TCU. Uh, If it's not a defensive back, I'd like it for it to be a defensive end in Shaq Lawson because I think he'd be very good for Kansas City's defensive line. I've got to say, I'm very torn. For the longest time, I was hoping for Josh Doxson. And if that was the case, maybe they trade up for him. But with the addition of Mike Williams, and I know I went kind of back and forth on that, I'm not so sure if the Chiefs go for a wideout anymore. I I don't think they, they, they are as interested unless Doxson happens to be available at 28. You have Macklin. You have Conley, who, who again, I think the Chiefs are very high on. And with the addition of Williams... Albert Wilson, again, you saw what he did last year as an occasional starter and a backup receiver. So there's a lot to consider with the Chiefs and whether or not they want to invest in another wide receiver. So I've got to go no on Doxton and Fuller. And again, that's if Doxton is not available at 28. If he is, that puts the Chiefs in a very interesting position. And I really do think it comes down to William Jackson the third and Shaq Lawson. I'm not 100% so sure how I'd feel about uh, Marcus Peters. 
being in his second year as a starter and then having a rookie cornerback. I know it worked well for Brandon Carr and Brandon Flowers. I think the Chiefs are fine with the secondary. I'd like to take a risk with Philip Gaines. I think John Dorsey would consider that because you would have uh, Eric Berry as your leader with the with the defensive backs, Marcus Peters. Then you have Philip Gaines and Steven Nelson again, the the, the two quarterbacks who you've drafted in, in the uh, last two third rounds. And keep in mind, these guys are being coached by Emmett Thomas, who has been responsible for. Helping Eric Berry play at such a high level. Uh, improving Brandon Flowers, who was very underrated during his time here. Until he finally got a Pro Bowl invite in 2013. So, there have been players who have really stepped up with Emmett Thomas's guidance. And I think guys like Philip Gaines and Steven Nelson can benefit from that. And become a more complete and reliable number two cornerback. And, and when you have this pass rush, I think it helps even more. If you have a more dominant pass rush, and I'm referring to the fact that maybe you had Shaq Lawson, I think it bodes well even more for these defensive backs. It's really going to help them out a lot in the long run. So if I have to give you who I think is going to be drafted in the first round at 28, I've got to go with Shaq Lawson. Defensive end from Clemson. Finish with 12 and a half sacks his junior year. And that, that's uh, two that he had in the national championship game against Alabama. Also had a pair of sacks against Miami in a 58 to nothing victory. Also a one and a half against Louisville. So this is one of the better pass rushers coming out of the draft. And if, if he is available at 28, I think we got to go here. If I had to rank who I want in order, the four players I mentioned, if they all happen to be available at 28 in a utopia I go Josh Dotson, Shaq Lawson, William Jackson III, and Will Fuller. In the end, I'm kind of hoping for Shaq Lawson because I think Kansas City is content with their wide receivers right now. Plus their tight end in Travis Kelsey. And again, you're going to use Jamal Charles, Sharkandrick West, and Spencer Ware quite a lot. And they'll be coming out of the backfield catching passes and they'll be used a lot in the ground game as well. I think Josh Dockton would be fantastic for this offense. I'd like to see that. But realistically, with how many players the Chiefs have on offense, and I think they really want to move forward with those group of players, I think the Chiefs end up drafting Shaq Lawson. Maybe finding another free agent at left guard, probably going for a left guard in the second round, or could shift Paul Fanica to left guard. Still a lot of offseason left, so we'll see how the Chiefs want to move forward with that. The draft is this weekend, and I'll talk to you guys after the draft. There will be a podcast on Sunday. We'll recap the draft, then we'll revisit the roster, what it could look like going into training camp halfway through the season, then by the end of the regular season, whether or not the rookies will probably be in starting roles by then, because sometimes it can take a while for these guys, but we'll see. Follow me on Twitter, at Farzine21. Give my Facebook page a like. Facebook.com slash Farzin Vesugian. As always, subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend. Until then, I'll talk to you this weekend. Enjoy the draft.